You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week eight of Study the Word 101 on the book of Ephesians. Today's intro teaching is on the study tool of application. The wrap-up teaching covers Ephesians 5.21 through 6.9. Father God, we um, just come to you and we ask for uh, your, your spirit to be on us as we discuss the word today. Uh, we thank you for the book of Ephesians. Uh, we thank you for Paul giving this letter um, to the church in Ephesus and for us as well today. Um, God, would you just move in our hearts and as there is a lot of practical stuff in this week's passage, uh, God, would you help us to um, walk in wisdom with, with the words that we're reading and how do we apply these to our lives? And Lord, would you just um, put a, help us to put aside any distractions that um, might get in the way, but that our conversation can be honoring to you and that we can grow in our knowledge and love for you as we discuss your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So throughout the past seven weeks, uh, we've talked about lots of different study tips that hopefully have helped you to become feel a bit more confident about studying God's word. Uh, we started and spent several weeks in observation. We spent the last couple in interpretation, and then we are going to finish today. Next week is a little bit different. Next week, I think we go back to actually the beginning again and talk more about the background and commentaries. Um, But we're going to finish today with talking about application, um, the third part of the inductive study method. And this is when you're going to be asking yourselves questions uh, like, how should I live because of the truths in this text? Uh, How should this change me? How has God revealed himself or what has he revealed himself to be in this, in this passage? And what can I learn about myself in comparison with him? Things like that. So a greater understanding of God um, as seen in his word really should change us. Uh, hopefully we will see evidence of this in our lives. Uh, God wants to change us, right, from the inside out. So it says in James 1, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget, forgets what he was like. So we are to be doers of the word. We are to apply what we're reading to our lives and live this out. So application also can result in conviction of sin and repentance. Um, The Spirit will help us (laughs) in this way. Uh, This step of application definitely involves some time um, sitting in what you're learning and and seeing how does this apply to me, and it definitely involves a lot of prayer. Um, We want to ask the Spirit to reveal um, to you changes that you do need to make in your life um, and how to apply the truths that we are reading about in in His Word. Um, It's going to take a lot of humility and vulnerability before the Lord. and it's a, but it's a, huge, it's a huge part of studying. So as, as you see, we are talking about application here at the end. Um, after we've already taken time to observe and to find the intended meaning to a passage. So application is a really good thing. It's, it's necessary, right? We need to do it, but it just really shouldn't be the first thing that we do. Um, if we do this first, we might misinterpret what the text is saying, and it becomes a little bit more me-focused um, instead of... God-focused, right? So when we, our application is God-centered, that is when we fo- for, yeah, focus first on him and knowing him more deeply, and that in turn will cause um, sanctification in our life and a transformation. 
So I am gonna put this together with just some simple steps. You don't have to do these exactly, but they are helpful um, in how to get through or how to look at application. So first um, is to ask, right? What truths have I learned about God in this text? So again, even in our application, we're starting with God and who he is. So what truths have I learned about him in what I'm reading? And then that should lead us to self-examine um, does my life reflect belief or unbelief in these truths? So that's when you take a step back and look at what you're doing and how you're living and what you're believing and where your heart is and, to, and examine yourself and, and find out, are you living in belief or unbelief? And if you find that there is some unbelief there, um, and if the Spirit reveals that to you, our next step would then be to confess and repent. <clears throat> And then lastly is our, our action step here, is the obedience part. So we want to ask the Spirit again to help us to figure out what steps to take to obey. What changes do you need to make? Um, and then step out in obedience and, and experience the Spirit's sanctifying work in, in your life. Um, and remember, we don't always, we don't have to feel like obeying <laughs> to obey. Sometimes we just have to do it. Um, and then we can see the Lord work work through us and in our lives. All right, so I'll leave those up there for a second. I am going to talk a little bit about the timeless truths. I do want to show a definition of the timeless truths, and then I can go back and put this back up if this is helpful, because there's kind of a lot on there. Or you can take a picture of it or something. Um, so all of this application really closely ties to these timeless truths. We've been saying these words a lot uh, here in this class, as well as in the if you've been in the big study in the spring um, with the, everybody together. We're at, they're asking for timeless truths in all of those studies as well. So we want to take some time to really make sure we're understanding what this means. Um, so I am going to just show you a definition. Like I said, I can go back to this just so you have this up there. But our definition of timeless truths, just so we're understanding what these are, are overarching truths about God or humanity that are unchanging regardless of culture or point in history. So these are things that are true of God for all time. So from eternity, past, to when the Bible is written, to present day, to going forward into all eternity, eternity future, right? They also can point to humanity. So what is true of humanity across time? Things like we are limited beings and we always have been, right? We need physical things to keep us alive. Um, we also, as humans, tend to forget uh, what God has done for us. Like we see this in, with Israelites in the desert, um, and this is still happens for us today. We need to be able and train ourselves to remember. Um, but we also have the ability to change, which is a good thing, right? Through the Spirit's help, uh, we can alter what we're doing, and we can go another way, and we can go a better way. So I'm going to just give you a quick example of a timeless truth that was actually one that we have... We have seen in Ephesians, um, but I'm going to walk you through it so we understand really how what this looks like. Um, would it be helpful to go back here? Would anyone like this one, Ben? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So let's look at the timeless truth of God's mercy. So God is merciful, right? We can see this all across Scripture. And so, for example, we see his mercy all the way in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Um, after the fall, he could have just wiped out Adam and Eve uh, for what they have did. But instead, he did not. And he also provided a way um, to not live in sin forever through our earthly death. That actually is his mercy. 
we could have lived forever in sin, that would not be good, <laughs> right? We have a chance to be with him through what he did for us even then. Um, in the wilderness, we see that he continually cared for the Israelites even when they sinned and messed up over and over again, even when they disobeyed. Um, things changed for them, but he still never, he never left them completely. Um, on the cross, when Jesus took his, our punishment that we deserved, here in Ephesians, we've read about the um, mystery being revealed to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are now included in the um, family of God. So that, again, is his mercy. Um, today, when I mess up, um, God forgives and gives me another chance. That, again, is his mercy. And for all eternity, when we get to be and experience him face to face. So as we're seeing, his mercy is a timeless truth. We can see it across time. And then the next part is important. How do we, then do we apply this timeless truth to our own lives? So again, I'm going to walk you through what this would look like for me when I thought through this. Um, so you need to ask yourself, how does this timeless truth, how does his mercy apply to me in my everyday life? Um, so for example, I might ask myself, like, how can I live in God's mercy? What does that look like today? Well, I can walk in freedom uh, without shame, not bound by my sin because of um, my debt has already been paid, right? And um, instead of drowning in this sin, I'm stuck to my, um, we, um, I'm able to take my failures and put them at the feet of Jesus and know that God will remember them no more. Um, this truth really should then cause a level of gratitude in my life that should be noticeable. God's mercy also means that I should be showing mercy to others. Uh, so for example, what does it look like for me to show mercy to my children <laughs> uh, when they mess up? This is something that um, has been something that has been on my heart for quite a while recently. Um, and even more, what does it look like to show them mercy when they don't deserve it? Um, and what is a better picture of us with God than this, right? We don't deserve his mercy, but he gives it to us. Um, so for a very, very practical example, when my daughter rolls her eyes at me and has an attitude with her voice, has a disrespectful tone in her voice, which she's nine and we're experiencing that more and more right now, um, what is my response? This is a hard one, right? Because I want to just give it back to her. I want to respond with a nasty tone myself. Um, I want to just give her a consequence right away, uh, which sometimes happens. Um, But maybe, what does it look like today for me to show her mercy? So instead of responding in my flesh out of frustration, how can I walk in love in this actual situation? Um, What if I simply gave her a hug instead of yelling back? Um, Not something that is our earthly response, but what that is... God's mercy, right? That is showing her mercy just to give her that hug instead of this time, maybe not hollering back at her. Um, And so again, because of his mercy, how am I reflecting this in my everyday life? So that is really how we take the big timeless truth and break it down to how we're walking each day. So um, I can just put this one back up real quick. But so anyway, to sum all this up, when you're thinking about application and timeless truths, again, you're looking for a truth about God or humanity um, that is true for all time. And so how is he or we the same, the past, present, and future? Um, And then asking, again, how does this truth impact me? What does it look like to have a deeper belief in this in my everyday life, in the things that I'm actually walking through? So hopefully this was helpful um, as you approach the big picture wrap-up in particular. Um, Going forward, I know our study is coming to an end, but this is something that we'll continue to see, um, as well as in your own study, um, just when it comes to application, how to really take the things that we're reading, again, what is true of God, and then how is that actually changing how I'm walking in my everyday life. And we're going to practice this week's passage has a lot of very practical application um, in it, and so we'll get to practice some of that today. All right. So Lindsay is going to, yeah.
get us started with if we're heading, if we'll read our passage first. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll read our section and then we'll move into, oh, I'm going to throw all my papers on the floor. We'll move into our uh, table discussion. <laughs> And that question we ask every week, does anyone want to read our passage? Thank you, Aaron. Uh, if you want to, or we can split it up. All right, thank you. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy without, without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. Thank you. All right, ladies, so you can go ahead and spend some time chatting at your tables um, about this. You can talk a little bit about your observations and then just uh, make sure you get into your um, interpretation time as well for the bulk of your time. All right, ladies, we're gonna pull it together and have some group conversation. We feel like you didn't give us very much time. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we gave you a lot of time more than normal. We were so we were literally talking about crowd aware of how long time we were. Uh, we were more on time. Um, all right. So I have kind of divided our board here. Uh, if you have overarching questions that are for all of them, that's fine too. Um, but just so that we can kind of think through this a little more orderly. So we'd love to know what you all were talking about at your tables, what kind of questions you had um, that you discussed. For wives and husbands, mm -hmm. it repeatedly talks about like husbands loving their wives, but in verse 33, why does it go from the wife submitting to the wife sees that she respects her husband? So how are submission and respect correlated? 
What does it mean to wash, uh, what does it mean that he's to wash us with water and the word, and is that specifically, is that more referring to husbands and wives, or the church and Jesus? It's hard to know, um, I guess it's hard to know if we're supposed to take this more as this is about husbands and wives, and then, oh, by the way, this is kind of like about the church, or is it more about the church, and oh, by the way, it's kind of about husbands yeah. and wives? <laughs> That's my question. Sorry. I'm not sure how it works, but it's a great question. What's, okay. the, what's the emphasis, or what's the first, like, first thing? Also, sometimes hard to talk, see, the her is in there as, yeah, yeah is this the her a wife, is the her the church? Yeah. Yeah. Which, her, which her are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's great. In, in verse 32, what mystery is mm-hmm. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. What does that mean practically to submit to other believers? Servants and 
Is there a difference between a bond servant and a slave? Mm -hmm. Other versions use the word slave. was accept mm -hmm. and I just really liked that instead of I think our culture has given this word like oh giving up my rights I have no uh, you know agency but I, I, accepting feels like I forget how you phrased what I was saying Aaron but just like a choosing to step into that role like this is something I get to be I get to accept this and get to be a part of it and this is my role um, on this team rather than oh giving up I'm just a lifer I'm just here to follow like what was me kind of thing Submit to someone else's husband, right. but like 
women to women, men to men, small groups. I feel like maybe it's that. Some sort of accountability. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Considering others' opinions and ideals as worthy as yours. I think just like how, you know, we seek the Lord to um, show us how to pick the right husband to be over us and we choose to submit to him. Similarly, we pick a church to come under mm -hmm. and choose to submit to their authority and yeah. become members and allow the leadership of a church to speak into our life and guide us yeah. in our spiritual life. So there's other areas of submission even outside of what we're talking about here as well, too. Can we all submit to each other all at once? Submit implies that there's one that there's someone with authority. Submit implies implies that there's someone with authority. Yeah. I'm gonna leave that hang there. That's a debated <laughs> verse. Um, I'll give you my thoughts on it later in the wrap up. Um, but it's a good one to chew on. Um, husbands uh, loving like Christ love. So there's we move then out of women and submission into husbands, and husbands are called to love. And then we're told that this is um, like Christ loves the church, and we get this explanation of Christ's love for the church. So is that apples to apples of how our husbands are supposed to love us, or what's the connection there in those verses? spiritually lead. There's some um, encouragement there. Yeah. Right? Encouragement. Yeah. I'm not going to go kicking, like I'm not going to, yeah, you can, you can, I'll follow you, but you have to pull me along. I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk well beside you kind of, you need to drag me. <laughs> 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 I'm dead weights. <laughs> 
in those different, but then to know when is my husband just being simple and when is it, yeah. no, this is not something to submit yes. to, this is not okay. That's so how do we discern that? We caveat that often, but like in practical, so if we're talking, talk about application here, um, yeah, what does it look like to apply God's word here and, and work through the situation like that? Maybe not exactly how someone would do it. What will be the steps you would encourage someone to do in that situation? Well, I think that's definitely quite, but like some, a lot of women will go to church elders and not be believed mm -hmm. and really be shut down. Sure. So, I mean, that would be a step, but unfortunately it seems to fail a lot. So a step would be to go to someone in authority over you? Yeah, right? once they tried, yeah, yeah since yeah. they would have tried already. For sure. Work it out with the husband. Yes. So go to somebody else, but then if that falls through, then more steps are needed. Yeah. Any other suggestions? I guess the part next. So I think we'll talk more in the wrap up about this, but discernment is needed here for sure. So taking it to the Lord and the Spirit, asking for discernment um, to church leaders or other people, um, bringing others in to help you work through things when things are, are tender and close to our heart. It can be hard for us to see through and discern on our own. So are we bringing other, are we bringing the family of God in? And, and looking at, um, yeah, looking at those in authority or other sisters in Christ how have, when you're deciding who to take this, something like this to, um, how are you seeing their lives being lived out and how are they using their authority? Um, and so discerning who to take this to as well. But very good point. All right, so we have some time. What's the mystery in here? What mystery is being revealed by um, this union between husband and wife? We've seen mystery a lot in Ephesians. I looked up um, different versions for mm -hmm. it. I found like the word sacrament was used, a deep secret truth, a great secret, or a secret doctrine. So, just supposed to be a secret. <laughs> <laughs> We're not supposed to know. <laughs> I like the word sacrament, like it is like holy and mm -hmm. yeah. This is. It goes back to Genesis language when it's talking about this. So this is going all the way back to the garden when the mystery that we're looking at here was very unknown, right, at that point. It talks about in Colossians the mystery being Christ in us, mm -hmm. which then would, seems like that would make sense with Christ in the church, right, like the, that language. Because yeah. we also have the mystery of the Gentiles being included, so there's sometimes Paul has different different mysteries, but the one that he yeah, talks about in Colossians is that Christ yeah. in us. Yeah, this union with Christ mm -hmm. is what, um, it's like the theological term for it, but it's this idea that we are united with Christ, we're one with Christ, which is mind-boggling, right? Ahead of it, it was talking about like father, like leaving your fathers and mothers and, and two shall become one flesh, and it is talking about, um, oh, I just lost what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, the two becoming one flesh, the man leaving his father and mother. Um, it's countercultural. Like it's just it's like, like leaving the father and mother. That's what I was thinking of. Like it, from what this culture was, was very much family oriented, staying living with the family, living in the same room as yes. them. And so to to 
for them to be called to do that is very against them. So like the mystery, like the, like it's not going to make sense to you what the Lord is calling you to do. Right. Yeah. It's not going to feel comfortable. It's not going to feel good yes. necessarily to like, oh, my parents who brought me up and yeah. all the other guys get to live with their parents and their wives. Like, yeah. For sure. I love that you put that in context. It would probably really hurt as well. And this mystery that Christ left the Father, right? And he even united himself with us. Amazing. All right, so submission and respect. How are those two tied? It's easier to submit when you have respect for your spouse. So practically, what does that look like? Yeah. I really like the phrasing in verse 33 when it says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's kind of like, check your own heart. Are you respecting your husband in your own heart? Not just outwardly, like, oh, following him, but like, yeah, kind of check yourself. See that you are doing this. Submission is not just um, an act, but it's a heart posture, right? So you're about respecting the person who's with you. All right, is this just for Christians? And to kind of add to that, mm -hmm. what if you're marrying someone that's not a Christian? very hard to have a marriage with submission and respect like this without the Holy Spirit and without the Lord guiding you and so I think there are marriages that are unbelieving that honor each other really well but I think that this whole concept would be lost on them to do it to do it in a way that honors the Lord because so much of the earthly way of doing marriage is self-serving how can I get affection how can I get X Y and Z from my spouse and I think as Christians, we're called to follow this model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's a different responsibility there and a different ability because of the work of the Spirit that isn't possible because of yeah. sin, right, for unbelievers. So while this design would benefit them, mm -hmm. I think you're right. It's God's intention for humanity at creation. Um, it's all throughout there, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, right? Like all of this is wrapped into how we know God. Um, I can't get into but First Peter would be your um, cross-reference for, for that First Peter 3, which has a lot to say about all of this as well. Um, and it talks specifically about what it looks like to be um, uh, married to an unbeliever, that, how that plays out. Okay, quickly, children and parents, bond servants and masters. So um, what does it mean to live long in the land? How do we do that today? Is the land America? That <laughs> <laughs> we ought to live long here? Doesn't living long in the land give you the the flavor of, uh, I mean, prosperity, 
Mm -hmm. I mean, we, the, the definition, of how, how we define prosperity is, 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 is the, the rub there. Mm -hmm. But a, a, certain, a certain sense that, it's, that things have gone well. Flourishing is the word I like yes. to use. Yeah. Yes. And spot on. Uh, so good. It says in the NIV that um, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So it's not a specific land necessarily in there, but I mean there is some piece to this that if you're doing the right things that you probably will might if you end up doing the wrong things that could shorten your life. Yes. <laughs> if you're making choices. Don't obey your yes. parents. <laughs> you run across the yes. street. Like that kind you of stuff. Like there are some natural consequences here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't know that's all it's saying, but I think there is some natural sure. consequences to our not following wise advice. Yes. This reminds me a little bit of wisdom literature where it's not you can't it's not um, Always completely. Yeah, it's not like an addition problem yes. where if you do this, this, this is definitely this the outcome. But like these are wisdom. Mm -hmm. This is Patterns. wisdom for our lives mm -hmm. from God, so we can be sure that it's true in a in a way. Mm -hmm. It is true. Yes. Yeah, you, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, sin messes that up, right? So that it's not an X plus Y equals Z yeah. Yeah, aspect. But yes, and it also mirrors our relationship with the Father. Mm -hmm. It's like these are all mirroring like, our relationship with Him. So like we should be obeying. I think of like train up a child in the way you should mm -hmm. be, and yes. you will not depart from the Lord, which is sort of like this is it. It sounds like a, a, a for sure, but that's obviously not right. always the case. So yes. it's kind of like it's like a helpful. This mm -hmm. is always going to be helpful, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's not it's a just guarantee. Kind of that. Yeah, it's not a guarantee. Not a guarantee. Culture where women weren't valued, the mother wouldn't have any have had any say, maybe. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't have this authority piece mm -hmm. like the father would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna keep tracking those two. Obedience versus submission. What's the difference? Is there? Comply. So obedience maybe is more outward submission has more of the, the heart involved. You can obey with a rotten attitude, but you can't submit with a rotten attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sitting down on the inside? <laughs> I think we I feel like it makes more sense now going through the submission, like being at more of a choice. Whereas, like, children or s slaves don't have a choice that they want to decide. Like, they're under authority. They are to obey. Um, whereas wives have a choice to submit. So I think that's the difference. Why? 
why children are called out to obey and servants and wives aren't called out to obey or called out to submit. Alright, so if we can wrap these last two. Bondservant versus slave. Any difference there? Don't bond servants choose to be in that household after a couple years, or is that a different they can? conversation that you're having at your tables. I hope you were able to share, um, yeah, just some personal application and maybe even in spaces that you weren't able to share, just think through some of that personal um, application before the Lord so that the Spirit is um, changing us as we study His Word. Um, so we have, these are our taglines, um, and this week we're going to tagline this one, Homes That Reflect Christ. You want to add that to your taglines? Homes that reflect Christ. So we've talked about um, so far how um, our lives are being changed by Christ, right? We talked about all that um, the Lord has done for us, who he is. And then these last couple of weeks, we've talked about how our lives change because of who God is. And so we talked about our relationships with other believers. We talked about our relationships with the world. And now we're going to talk about the relationships in our homes. 
And our homes are some of our most vulnerable spaces in our lives, and they're often the places that are a reflection of the truest version of ourselves, right? We are often feel safest to be our true selves in our homes. And now what Paul is going to say is that we ought to be imitating and reflecting Christ in these spaces. And so um, he gives us three groups of people that are in these spaces. They are wives and husbands children and parents and bond servants and masters, as we've talked about. And these would have been the three authority structures that were in a home at the time that Paul is writing. So most of us do not have bond servants and masters. All of us do not have bond servants and masters at this point. But this would have been um, a structure that was in the home at the time that Paul is writing. So I'm going to say something um, now that I know I often have a hard time hearing. And that is that authority is for our good. And it is a part of God's good design for our lives. We live um, in a culture right now that um, prioritizes autonomy, which would be a freedom from any type of authority structure to just govern yourself as you will. But God has set authority structures in place for his people for their good and well-being. And he's placed people over us in authority in order to care for us, to protect us, and to look out for the people who are under them. And a person in authority doesn't possess any greater value than a person who is under them in authority. Rather, uh, this authority piece, um, it's actually, oh here, sorry, for our good and God's design. It's actually about power. It's not, it's not about power and glory. It's actually about serving. So this role um, isn't about what you can get for yourself, but rather how can I serve the people that are under me in authority? This purpose for authority goes all the way back to the garden and God's design, as we talked about um, in our discussion. But we saw in Genesis 3 that the effects of the fall um, created brokenness in all of our relationships. And now because sin has entered the world, um, our hearts are prone to our own self-interest. And so when we see authority in the world, what we often see is that authority figures are wielding their power in order to control uh, and dominate the people that are under them. They're looking out for their own self-interest and their authority um, rather than serving other uh, people. And I think this is why it's hard for us to think about authority as a good thing because we look around all around us and we see authority in the world and it doesn't look good. But this isn't God's intent for us. Um, and we can see here in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if we follow Jesus, our authority should imitate him, right? The gospel should influence um, how we view authority so that when we're in a position of, of authority, we're using it for the good of the person who is under our authority. And when we're under someone in authority, we trust um, in the one who holds the ultimate authority over us. So the Lord's design is not burdensome. It's actually for our good and for our well-being. So Paul um, calls us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I would interpret this verse then as going from, you ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here are examples of authority structures where you will practice this type of submission. And so he's going to give us these various roles. 
So the first one is wives and husbands. Wives are told to submit to and respect their husbands. Husbands then are called to love and care for their wives. So as I teach this morning, I'm going to teach from a complementarian standpoint. That is a big, fancy theological word that means that I believe men and women hold equal value and standing before the Lord. We come before the Lord as equals. But the Lord has um, created us distinctly as men and as women to have distinct roles. And those roles are not interchangeable. I can't take on the role of a husband and um, my husband can't take on my role as a wife. Uh, so that is the viewpoint I'm going to talk through. Um, I do know a, a good bit about other viewpoints, and I do enjoy this discussion. So if you have questions about this or want to talk about other viewpoints um, or this viewpoint, I would be happy to do that with you after class. But I didn't see any other way than to teach this where I stand on it. So Casey told us last week um, that the word uh, submission means to put oneself under another person. And so to submit yourself to someone is to willfully entrust yourself to another. And this can be scary. Um, why? Why is it something that we can maybe fear at times? I think it's because there is no authority on this earth that is perfect. And so um, to entrust yourself to somebody on this earth means that you're entrusting yourself to someone who um, probably will and can fail you at times. And so how could the Lord ask us if he knows that um, these authority structures are going to fail us and are at times maybe, um, yeah, going to bring even harm? How can he ask us to submit to our imperfect husbands? Well, it's because we do so with ultimate trust in our submission to the Lord, right? That he is our ultimate authority. And when we do submit to our husbands, we are uh, affirming and we're honoring their position as head. Uh, this is a heart posture, which we talked about, right, at length. And we're using our gifts alongside of them uh, in order um, to partner with them for um, good in our homes. And so when we trust um, the Lord to remain faithful, um, even when our husbands may fail us at times. And submission, unlike, obe unlike obedience, which we talked about, right, is not something that can be forced upon us. Rather, it's a, a willing heart posture to submit or come under. This doesn't always feel easy, um, but just because something is hard does not mean it's not good. Um, this also doesn't mean that our husbands will do this perfectly. We talked about this in our, in our discussion too, right? And we're not called to just submit to them when we deem um, their authority as good enough. But it does take discernment. And so I do want to caveat that um, if a husband is abusive, the Lord is not asking us to stand silently. Um, because if a husband's being abusive, he's actually abdicating his role as head and authority, right? Because what do we say that this role of authority is supposed to be for? It's for the protection and the care of the wife. And so if somebody is um, harming someone under them, they are not um, using God's authority in the way that he would intend. And so um, I mentioned this already, but I would encourage you, if you find yourself in that situation, um, to, to take your situation before the Lord, to ask him for help, um, help in the form of other people, um, to have discernment, to know who to take your situation to, um, and to seek counsel, whether that is counsel in the church or professional help. Um, 
and probably not just one person, right? Probably more than one person as well. I can't give every um, caveat here, um, but um, yeah, I would encourage you um, to process this with someone else. So husbands are called to godly leadership um, and loving sacrifice, right? So if you put yourself, which we did already a little bit too, right? Put yourself in the ears of somebody hearing this at this time. This would have been radical for them to think that um, a man is being called into check in his authority um, would have been shocking. The same way that I think submission is shocking to our culture, right? It's completely countercultural to the way that we live now. And that's how it would have been um, at the time for this uh, loving, sacrificial leadership. So Paul is going to spend even more time talking about his husband's loving sacrifice here. And he tells us that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. But he's not saying that a husband's uh, role is the same as Christ's role. We talked about that a little bit. So husbands are not saving and sanctifying their wives. They can't, right? That is the role of Christ in a wife's life. And a husband is not supposed to take over that or think he plays that role. But what he is saying is that a husband is to serve and sacrifice for his wife in a way that he's willing to experience physical discomfort or personal loss for the sake of her, right? He is to nourish her and cherish her. He is putting her sanctification ahead um, of his own comfort, right? Seeking what is good for her. And this is the loving authority that the Lord would desire for his people. And when a husband and a wife walk this out, they display the glorious uh, mystery of Christ being united with his people. Children and parents. So children are called uh, to obey their parents. And similar to husbands and wives, uh, this creates um, safety and structure and stability, both in the home for the family and then actually also through for the community that these homes are in. And, um, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> so this promise that's mentioned, it actually goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments, and I loved where you all landed here, right? It's not a promise that you get to live to 100 if you obey your parents. We don't know that. Only the <laughs> Lord does. Um, but it's this idea of flourishing, right? That if we follow the wisdom um, of parents, we're going to experience, um, we're going to experience their wisdom uh, if we heed their advice, right? Um, we're going to experience that in our lives, and it's going to be, it's going to be good for us. They lived longer um, than us. And then fathers, fathers are called um, under the authority of the Lord, and they are to restrain themselves with their, their power, not to use it um, harshly against their children, but rather they are to teach them, to nurture them. And then lastly, we have bond servants and masters. So a bondservant in other relation, or translations like we talked about is a slave, and this is a person that would not have any rights on their own. Um, all of their rights um, are under their masters, and we can see throughout the scripture that Christians are actually called bondservants of Christ, right? This is the relationship that we have with Christ. And so here Paul is going to appeal that, to that idea both for the slave and for the master. So both the slave and the master are called to recognize that they are first and foremost bondservants of Christ. 
both of them have a master who is in heaven, right, over them. So all of the slaves' actions are to be done as unto the Lord. And the master is not supposed to look on his role too highly because he recognizes that in front of Christ, um, any sense of privilege that he has over another person, it fades, right? We are all equals before the Lord. So where do we go from this personally? I want to piggyback on your homework, and I want to encourage you to think about how do you view authority? Do I see God as the ultimate authority in my life? Do I see God's role in my life as an authoritative one? That all of my life is to be surrendered to him. Do I view my role of authority and submission as service to another person? So in all the various roles that we find ourselves in life, how do we view that role? And then what is my heart posture um, in this role? And so kind of piggybacking on what we talked about in application, I would encourage you, if you find conviction in some of these things as you self-reflect, um, to confess and repent, to take that before the Lord, and then to ask a spirit for help um, to, to change your heart and to walk out in obedience, uh, trusting that he is going to change your heart as you do so. So um, I don't know if anybody gets through all of this without some check. I know I can't <laughs> um, here, right? These are hard spaces because they are the spaces that we are the most vulnerable. And so I think it's where our sin can tend to really rise up. And so I would just encourage you, uh, not just once when you do your homework, but to continually, when you find yourself wrestling with that authority and struggling with it in your own heart, to, to take some time to examine um, and bring it again and again and again before the Lord as you need to do so. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that for all the caveats we have to give because of sin, for all um, the questions we have to ask because we are imperfect, because our husbands are imperfect, we do not have to come before you in that way, Lord, because we can trust that you are a good and faithful master, that you are a good and faithful father that you are a good and faithful husband, Lord, that you are perfect in all of these things. Lord, we desire to reflect you in, these earth, in our earthly relationships. Um, but Father, we are so thankful um, that we can rest assured in our relationship with you. Lord, I ask specifically um, that you would just continue to reveal yourself to each of these ladies. If they struggle to trust you because of an, the brokenness of an earthly relationship, um, if they are struggling with believing in your character, Lord, would your spirit um, just stir in their hearts um, what is true of you um, and help them to trust in who you are. Lord, I pray for any relationships um, for these women that are difficult um, because of sin and brokenness. Lord, would your spirit shine light and truth um, on the various areas in our lives. Lord, for each of us as we struggle with sin um, in relationships and brokenness, Lord, and when um, yeah, we struggle to trust your good design. Father, would you illuminate areas of sin in our lives? Father, um, would your spirit do that work? 
And would you help us to walk in obedience, to confess and repent before you, to remember um, the truth of the mercy that we have received in Christ, that we do not need to live in shame over our sin, but Father, that we can lay it at your feet um, and that you desire and delight to help us um, to walk these things out. Lord, um, we thank you for the authority that you have put in our lives, Lord. We thank you for husbands, for um, church leaders and elders. We thank you for parents, um, for bosses, um, for the various areas where we experience authority, Father. Um, would we um, yeah, remember to thank you for that, for the order that that brings in your good design? Um, Lord, I just ask that you would walk with each one of us as we walk these things out this week very practically. Um, I thank you for each of these ladies, and we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.